Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Zach from Hertfordshire, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. And my question for you is, do you think the, the aliens built the Great Pyramids of Egypt? Because I've done some research into it, and it seems believable. So what do you reckon? I think they did. I want to hear your thoughts. Hello everybody and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen aka The Hizzer, Hello. and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Zach from Hertfordshire's question, did aliens build the pyramids? Dane, can you quickly answer that? Yeah, very quickly. No, Zach, they didn't. And that's just a uh, colonial notion that people in Africa were not able to build monoliths as big as the pyramids. Because, in fact, if you go outside of Egypt and go further down to Sudan, former Kush, there are more pyramids in Sudan than there are in Egypt. So they were man-made structures built by people. And if you want to see more evidence of that, of monolith theory, you can go to places like South America, in Mexico, and you can see the same kind of structures as well. But I'd also recommend Googling comedian Eddie Griffin, who talks about about how they used to build pyramids which used to actually be gold tipped so yeah look Zach up. there's your answer mate that's probably the most succinct version of that answer ever so suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave absolutely no question is too big too small too highbrow or too monolithic and if you do like the show please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or you can subscribe to us on Acast the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests with that being said on today's show is a writer and fashion blogger author and influencer she is best known for her book What a Time to Be alone and also her body positive campaign hashtag saggy boobs matter in 2018 she hosted a documentary with bbc newsbeat that explored hair loss and her own experiences with traction alopecia and in 2020 she presented a channel 4 documentary on bringing back the bush which explored why women shave their pubic hair to appease the male gaze she holds it down for women and for the feminine form and she has taken the time to appear on our podcast please welcome to the show chidera eguru aka the slum flower yay welcome thank you Thank Such you. a lovely intro. Was it good? We, 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 I don't think we cover everything, but I want to make sure we got a lot I of highlights. I love that intro. Thank yeah, you. Very, I'm so happy good. to be here. I've oh. been looking forward to this for a Really? Long You've been time. looking forward yes, to it? Yes, I have. Have you heard the show? Yes, I have. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on here, Shadera. And we know, basically, that uh, you have been a, I'd say, somewhat of a smoke gymnast. You take <laughs> the ire and the frustration and from the backlash of patriarchy, and you move that like it's Tai Chi just to keep women empowered and have women reclaim and celebrate their own sexuality um, in a world where that could be more perilous than ever. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel very powerful to know how to respond to a system that's been intentionally designed to keep women small. Oh. And that power comes from knowing that people feel threatened when they see oppressed people taking their life into their own hands. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking as someone who has aspired to be a progressive ideologue, 
we admire and celebrate that. What's your life been looking like post-pandemic? Post-pandemic, well, my life has changed a lot since the pandemic, including taking on new hobbies like singing lessons. Nice. I started singing lessons just before the pandemic. Cool. How are they going? It's been going really well. I've been Come in for like go. two years. Ba, 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 ba. Oh. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Couple, couple, couple scales. Lol. I've been doing singing lessons. Breathing, right? It's about breathing. It is about breathing. It's about also pronouncing your words clearly. Right. And giving yourself time to remain committed to what you're singing. Mm. Because for me, singing is something I've always admired and I've always wanted to do. But I told myself things like, oh, if you don't start at seven, there's no point in trying anything because then you're not going to be as good as the people that started at seven. Mm -hmm. But then it's not about being as good as other people, right? It's just about being as good as you can be. I mean, I would never have had sex if I'd have gone by that. It would have never happened. I wish you could see me collapsing in my chair So so true, Howard. So true. (laughs) Everyone else would have done it before me. Probably better. Uh, Comparison is the thief of joy, Howard. Exactly. Don't uh, compare your starts. That's right. No one else pays rent in your bedroom, Howard. Exactly. Stand up for yourself, Howard. Don't have it. I've I've made two children now, so I've got nothing to ask anyone. Look at that. It works. There you go. Yeah. Literally works. Mm-hmm. All, the ammo, all the ammo's live in that magazine, Howard. Well, That's yeah, yeah. we're firing have... no blanks around here. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I probably spoke too much weed when I was younger, so there's probably a couple of ones that can't quite find their way out. But yeah. generally, <laughs> they... That's the... That's the way the world is sometimes, yeah. right? And, and as I was telling <laughs> Dane, my kid, this oldest one, he is hench at the moment. He is two years old, and he is. He's absolutely too... built he's stacked so, oh, he's got the core strength to lift himself out of his cot by himself yeah. come on and then, and then, really and then basically it. just doing nighttime parkour it's, uh, yeah, it's quite something so Howard's very proud he's yeah. got excited and, and, know, and frustrated yeah. and pr- lacking exactly. sleep see Howard yeah. and for the sperms that got high they probably had a good life too yeah, yeah. No, no, no. just chilled took it too exactly. seriously Some, maybe they understand you know <laughs> they don't have to live purpose. through a recession there you go <laughs> That's right. They're not going to see austerity austerity as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, I never thought I'd go that in depth into my sperm on a public forum, (laughs) but here we are. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dave, before we talk about it more? Absolutely. Uh, Shadera, okay, Miss Slumflower, you are our esteemed guest, and we invite you to ask the first question, which can be any question you'd like, based on a topic you would love to discuss. And then Howard would like to pose a question to you, which we'd like to discuss again for about 15 minutes and some change. And then I'd like to uh, keep up with tradition and ask you a question after those first two which we discussed for about 15 minutes and then we would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find out about your good works past, present and future oh my god how does that Yay, sound that sounds like a lovely itinerary for today it's a good show yeah, yeah. It's a good show. well further enhanced by your presence so the floor yes. is yours to ask the first question <laughs> okay so my first question even though I came with a question I wanted to ask but I want to start with my first question being to you Dane what's one thing you wish more people knew about you oh that's a good question that is a very good question. Can I ask, is there anything that inspired that question? I think that when you are someone who is a public figure and when you're someone who's known for being funny and actually being funny in real life, people will have an impression of you that often revolves around, you know, how great they feel when they're around you from laughing or from just like being inspired by your presence. But oftentimes the people that we're most inspired by, there are things about them that we don't know because we only see the things in them that we are drawn to. So I'm always that we curious. we want from them, right? The things that we naturally want from them. the things we want from them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether that's just feeling happy being around them or just like absorbing their, their energy because it's mm. infectious. But I'm always curious about people 
who have quite big personalities, like the things mm. that people don't necessarily know about them that they wish people knew, but they don't get the chance to necessarily express. It's an exceptional explanation. We'll we revert to this question <laughs> back to you in a moment, but yeah, obviously yeah, want to hear what... That's a really good question. Um, I'd say... I'd, well, I guess I'd like to think, and I guess it's the aspiration for most creatives who are trying to express themselves through their aesthetics. So I guess for me, why I just want people to know most about me is that I'm just a, a, a very easygoing person and uh, prepared to listen to most journeys. And I wholeheartedly believe the best demonstrations of my humanity are from the indulging of the humanity of others. Hmm. So for me, I feel like when people hear me taking very hard stances or being very uh, having very passionate and having a lot of conviction about a lot of my platitudes and stuff that I say, I think a lot of, sometimes that makes me appear less approachable hmm. because people think like, oh, because he thinks these ways, he's very hard lines. So if you speak to him about something that makes you appear quite vulnerable, then he'll see that as an opening to critique. And uh, I want people to know that even when I might be expressing myself, normally it's from the standpoint of an observation rather than a condemnation because mm. a lot of the time I might say I don't like something but it doesn't mean that I am therefore judging that person to be inferior to me either morally or I guess uh, from a humanitarian standpoint I am um, when I was very young like in the 80s and stuff my neighbor and I had this fascination with ninjas because mm. <laughs> it was the 80s they and, were uh, big in they were big they were very big in. back then and we used to do all this weird <laughs> stuff like we used to like do ninja techniques where it was like you have to when you walk you walk with your heel first and then oh, the palm of no your foot sound. to make no sound <laughs> and things like the reason why ninja's eyes look so crazy is because in the dark where they most operate your light receptors are less efficient so the more you move your eyes the more light receptors you create so you generate your night vision a lot quicker so these are some of the little weird things we, I used to do to improve my ninjutsu but the main thing was <laughs> I know how it sounds I mean, I'll go this, this, was a, this. this was a serious kid. Yeah, yeah, Let's be a honest. serious this kid. This is a serious kid. Yeah, but the reason, I can't reason, believe this but the reason why is it's the philosophy of ninjas, which is that nothing is to be feared, but to be understood. Mm. And that that resonated with me most because the idea is that a lot of the problems within the world, in terms of like, I also heard another phrase was like, culture is the solution, and the problem with humanity mm. is that we try to compartmentalize our uh, commonalities and our life experiences. And we use this to stratify ourselves, and that causes, and that can celebrate certain nuanced aspects of the human journey. Right. But it also is a problem when we, when other people don't have that experience or believe in it, that we use that as a point of opposition. So mm. for me, like I've always f had, like I guess, a thirst for knowledge, and I've always, and I think the quickest way to uh, feed that thirst is, to, or to uh, I guess, quench said thirst is to speak to other people. And uh, so I've always loved to people watch. Mm. And by that same token, it means that like I know it's that when I'm when sometimes I'll be with Dane and we meet you know the the public. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, the public. We like you. We don't dislike you. The public, what's up? But Dane's particularly noticeable that he'll probably ask them about three questions when I'm I'm you know obviously they don't recognise me. I mean occasionally, very rarely. But like he's interested. You always ask him every time I've seen you with them. You always ask him questions. Yeah. Like you, you won't just be like, "Hey, you're good to meet you." Questioning everything, even yeah, yeah. Like, always, yeah. yeah he, he, you know, because some people I've been with other people with public figures who just, "Hey, nice to meet you," and then they're like, "Want your photo?" Or you, you go in because they won't say that, but that's the kind mm. of thing because you know they don't they don't have the same desire to question. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I, but I think questions are so important, and, and I think you know it's also the theme of this uh, of the podcast. But it's just because I really feel like it's the biggest. Uh, existential angst that human beings deal with is that they don't feel they're listened to 
And I think on an esoteric level, that's the biggest existential crisis that most human beings battle with is that as a social species, our humanity and our existence is not perceived by others. Mm. And we have a number of ways we try and remedy that, whether it's we uh, engage or attach ourselves to identity politics to identify with a group that shares our experiences yes. or we join splinter groups just to be recognised or we, whether it's our displays of even negative or positive behaviour in order to get attention and validation. But I've always been someone that wholeheartedly believes if we spent more time listening to one another and indulging one another's humanity, we probably wouldn't be as reliant as we are on like psychiatric help or um, mm. therapy the way we are now. Not that I'm trying to play down the work and the competence that therapists have, but I think what therapists tend to do a lot of the time is that their large part of their job is listening to someone, maybe recant their trauma and really ponder their existence and their place in the world. And I think if we just observe that as a part of normal social practice, we wouldn't be on as reliant on it. Mm-hmm. So I just think that yeah. we should all be kind of therapists. What, what, what would you answer to your own question? But the question of what's one thing I wish more people knew about me. Yeah. I wish more people knew that I'm very sensitive. And I think <clears throat> See, when I, you're a public I saw, figure... I saw it straight away. What did you mean you saw it straight away? <laughs> because oh, because I'm, I'm, very, I'm very sure, I'm very sure, you know, you've, uh, you, you, you're an outgoing, confident, you're an ongoing, confident woman. You're an attractive woman. And so I'm sure you're aware that on a both a superficial as well as an esoteric level, you will attract or have interactions with different people on those bases and obviously I met you just uh, through a friend of ours Darcy and um, like I said I'm sure you know that your reputation precedes you and normally how cisgender heterosexual men respond to that yes and so I wanted to make a point of principle to under to so that you understood that I am making the best effort to understand your narrative which I appreciate and what you're and definitely what you're trying to do so that was an example where I was like you know I think I see, I'd like to think or I endeavour to see past the version of self that you are able to present in a very uh, limited way on like social media, for example, and see what the human is trying to do. And especially in terms of your ideology and what you're trying to empower, it was about seeing past that and making sure that I can uh, identify and and, and in some ways, I guess, hope to validate that because I think it's from a humane perspective, it's very progressive what you're trying to do. So that's what I wanted to do when we first met because I'm aware a lot of the time when I meet people, how they perceive me. So it's kind of like before anything else, I want my first uh, impression I want to give to other human beings is that I understand you as a human and as a sentient being. So hmm. Yes. And I think being both being public figures, it's not a very common thing to vocalise or admit that you're sensitive because yeah. the immediate instinct is now I've opened myself up to more possible um, like bad energy or people who will hear yeah. that you're sensitive and think okay anything I do to this person is going to negatively affect them yeah. if they have and, and some people even because they're sensitive themselves it's uh, the idea that someone with your level of confidence has sensitivity they will feel that it, it diminishes their own sens- their own sensitivity or their own vulnerability so it, it almost like it feels like they it, uh further compounds their inferiority complex. Like, how can she be insensitive? She, what's she sensitive about? The money she makes? Like, <laughs> also, you know, people are kind also of, I uh, think so. if you were uh, Adele, <laughs> your sensitivity, uh, in the, the, the sensitivity in Adele's work is so apparent. Visible, yeah. It's like, hey, I have had loads of really bad breakup scenarios. Here's my songs. Suffer. 
like I said, you know, what I mean? but that's the thing. But your, what, yeah, what you do exactly. has a very kind of, I would say, you know, I think antagonistic is maybe taking it too far. But, but my presence has to be strong. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not, you're not coming in. You want to go. So, what do you think of this thing that I'm definitely going to be pushing your comfort <laughs> zones, right? Like that's yes. a lot of what I think you, you, you're, you know, well, what happens with some of your work anyway? But I think I think you do very well. I think Thank I think you. a perfect example is of that is uh, the campaign of Saggy Boobs Matter because there's the confidence to openly talk about what you perceive to be flaws in your own uh, physique. But at the same time, I understand that the subtext of that is that, you know, there are a number of women out there, even women that present as being very, uh, very uh, confident. confident, even, you know, women who maybe have had augmentation surgery. They all still have the same disposition in terms mm-hmm. of their self-image that you have as well. And mm-hmm. so by just saying saggy boobs matter, that's enriched and empowered so many people. And, people f- and also, I, I think it's... Uh, especially in the world of identity politics, being able to find a narrative that transcends so many different people, mm-hmm. I also think is important as well. But it's to do that, but just put it down to saggy boobs matter. Because, you know, there's a, that, the cross, the intersectionality that that has, you no, know, that covers age, as well as certain aspects of womanhood and culture. And yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I get it. So it's, it's a great Thank question you. to ask because, uh, as I said, I guess... For me, uh, a lot of people just interpret me as being maybe some embittered and just being like a braggart <laughs> or like a rabble rouser. But I guess what I want people to know more about me is that it all this acerbic idealism that I kind of come out with. What does that mean? It says that I'm just like, this is shit and it shouldn't be shit and we deserve better as people. And that comes from a place, like I said, of vulnerability because I have a genuine care for humanity and a love for humanity because I just don't think you can act efficiently as a human being if you don't have a reverence for it but I just think how people see it manifest is that they just think I'm just angry at the world and it's not really that it's I love the world and I'm worried what will happen if we don't show love for it both on a interpersonal level and environmental level Mm. and there's also a metaphysical level like we're not here because of the wonder of science and technology and industrialization like for example we can have all of this uh narrative about like the modern woman and how women are out of control these ide- if women decide they don't give a fuck about men there's no chance for any of you because you'll be done in the womb well did you see that article that's been going around from psychology today about um men being the loneliest they've ever been and their dating options declining because yeah, of, of the because lack of emotional intelligence yeah the stunted development in just like taking accountability for your life yeah. and because the article was was written by a man it's being perceived differently and taken more seriously yeah. because women have been saying this from the beginning of time talk about, like, your, talk about your feelings otherwise <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna fuck you up like right. being, being in touch with your feminine side used to be a part of like pop psychology for so many years and it's because so many men interpreters act more like a woman when it was really about the fact that by you being able to indulge the feminine hemisphere of your brain it means that you are able to have interpersonal relationships you emotional intelligence has increased creativity is comes from it's it's feminine so for you not and also any man who's like understood even Eastern philosophy and like yin and yang or even understood the idea of the most primary laws of physics for every action is an equal opposite reaction your masculinity can't really prosper unless you are able to entertain the feminine as well it's bigger than just existing at these binary lines of gender you need these interpersonal things, these, like, even how they manifest in terms of various secretions in your endocrine system of estrogen versus testosterone. Mm-hmm. Because really and truly, these are the smallest things that determine your gender in the first place. And those, and just limit, just different outputs of those can determine, you know, what kind of person you're going to be in terms and of And how the world responds to you. And how the world responds to you. So for me, it's like, like, for me, this transcends just the, these binary ideas of ideas of gender. It's like, 
all of our predecessors have understood, or whatever you believe. Like, well, I always say this to people. At the end of the evolutionary chain, there's a white guy with a spear in his hand. <laughs> like, when you look at uh, primordial man or, you know, proto-Western uh, cultures, the white guys don't have spears in their fucking hands. In fact, it's a derogatory term is to associate spears with Africans, number one. Number two, just from the definition of species, according to, like, Charles Darwin himself, it means it's a, a species is an organism that can produce viable offspring. That means you can mm-hmm. produce offspring that can also have offspring. Right. That means, just scientifically, the first homo sapien would have to be a woman. It mm-hmm. would have to be. So if you are a man who prides yourself on understanding logic and science, you cannot reduce the importance of women in human civilization. It's not like a virtue signaling thing. It's that's straight science. For me, if you don't understand that, you're fucking dumb. I, I wish I could see you in conversation with Andrew Tate. <laughs> well, we've asked him on the show, actually. It's going to be interesting if he like, comes on. I'm not shying away from that kind of thing because it's like, it's trying to find, understand where this person comes from because I think it's when I brush it off as fear or just try to return the same kind of vitriol. Mm, there's no point because, because well, yeah, because I just think we're, because I guess what I want people to know at this point now is that more than anything, I'm just interested about where humanity is going next. It's no longer a point where we are at the, we are the apex predators or even the apex minds in world, the world anymore because now we have AI and AI does not stratify itself along these lines of gender or sexual orientation. It's not limited at all. Like human beings are still having conversations when we're scared about the left and socialism and communism. This doesn't get any more communist than artificial intelligence and they don't care. And they're already been able to guide human behavior, which means if there is an organism that is able to guide our behavior and control us, then we're no longer the superior species on this planet. Mm-hmm. And that's probably where we went wrong in the first place is that we declared ourselves as a dominant species. There's no such thing as a dominant species because if your body contains bacteria and microbes, you have an interdependent relationship between them, which is a symbiosis. You can't sit at the top, which means if anything, you exist as a custodial species. So... We're at a point now where if you don't realise that, you're going to become a dinosaur and we're going to become an extinct. <laughs> and really, as human beings, if you want to recant our humanity or remember how to hold on to that, well, then the source is women. And that's how I see it. So yep. I, so for me, like a lot of people see that as just me being angry and ranting. And I think that's the most frustrating thing is that people think I'm just angry for the case of shouting. I think if you're not angered by the decline of standards of living in the West, then you're not really paying attention. If you don't experience anger or you don't experience, like, I guess, um, sorrow at the treatment of the people that are responsible for continuing the human species, there's something wrong with you. And that's what we're saying now. If men are lonelier than they've ever been, that is testament to the fact that our practices of now trying to force women back into regression, it's not working. We need something else. This feeds in beautifully into my question this week. What's your question? But your Howard? question was a belter, though. That was... We like that question. <laughs> that was a question. great question. Thank that you very much. Question. Thank you. But my question rotates around, like, I've, like, sat and consumed a lot of what you put out on on, on, the, media, on the social media and into the world. Uh, I would, don't think I'd suggest that you want to ever be termed, like, a expert on relationships or, like, a, a dating yeah, expert. Well, i stay not away your, from the word expert. Yeah. And, but also, but I think you're you're clearly fascinated by relationships and you know, dating and stuff. So yes. like, and as Dane knows, because we talked about it a number of times, I am a uh, conqueror of the dating world. I oh, what does that mean? Said the Dane knows about the 78, <laughs> 78 internet dates I had to find my wife. Are uh, you serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. 78. And There's, there is a rom-com or sitcom in there waiting to happen. Yeah, and Was this on dating apps? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty of fish. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I tried a Jewish dating app. J-Date? Yeah, for a while. Oh my uh, goodness. And... Um, 
uh, anyway, I have to go back and look at it. I mean, anyway, so I conquered it and I won, right? But that's like <laughs> seven years ago now. Wow. In that seven years, what I can see in my friends, uh, people I know, is that it looks fucked. <laughs> yes. It now looks it's the worst it's ever been. fucked. So I want you to tell me, why are dating apps so fucked? Well, I believe the reason is still comes back to men. Because when you look at dating apps, like the majority of women on there genuinely are looking for partnership to some extent. For some mm. women, it might be that they want to hook up with someone. But for the most part, there's a desire for partnership. Whereas I've seen that with men on dating apps, the minority are those who actually want a serious relationship and are looking for someone to, you know, enjoy life on a long term basis with. The rest of them genuinely just want to hook up. Mm. And so what happens is that there are many men who will approach you with the facade that they want to, you know, take you out on a date and get to know you. And then you might even go on a date with them and things don't go anywhere because they're frustrated that you didn't sleep with them the first night you met them. Like, there's not any... I think what I'm noticing is that with the way dating apps are built and structured, no matter how many times these apps try to evolve and you know include things like conversation starter prompts or you know trying to get people to talk for longer on the app it's just not going to change male attitudes towards the way that they consume women for the most part i mean that phrase consume women Mm -hmm, because it literally is like consumption because the reason i went through all those and it's is you know i I would be lying listeners guys if i (laughs) if i was saying that some of the 78 didn't end in um amicable short-term sexual dealings. Okay, you know, Howard. I play up. I like Howard in that. Uh, I'm so not yeah. serious to talk Try about to this like stuff. You, fam. Oh, I'm so not serious. You know how we do, Howard. Hey, and JD, hey, you know how what? we do. Like, yeah. Girl, bring that Ashkenazi over here, girl. Tara, uh, my wife, uh, sorry for everything that I talk about on this show. Uh, but no, it, like, sometimes it was yeah. like, she oh. Went, she, Tara won't even believe you. I was like, I used to get it in. All right, like, Howard. What? Not <laughs> Not a significant amount of times, let me tell you that. But in a couple of times it happened, and a couple of times that was because, oh, actually, I think we probably were both in a similar place, and you were like, oh, this was... And then you that, should of, make, that makes it more significant if there was a mutual yeah, desire yeah, between both parties. Yeah. That it, probably it, makes it, it more. Was, and, you know, I, I was definitely looking for my wife. Aww. I was definitely like... And I had a thing that used to piss off a couple of mates of mine where I'd like say, like, oh, I'm meeting this girl. I'm not really that... I don't, I've, we've had met once. I'm not really that sure. And they'd be like, why? And I'd be like... Well, and this is awkward, right? <laughs> but it was the truth, Dane. Yeah. I didn't like their faces. So you just didn't feel attracted to them? This is this this bit. Must, yeah. must yeah, but you want to be with someone face. you're attracted to. Yeah. Rest, you know, my wife's beautiful in every way, but the, 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 her face... Out, out of your league, Howard. Let's, let's... We know this, Dane. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's just like we sometimes. There's yeah. a disclaimer on this podcast <laughs> yeah. that says yeah, yeah, yeah. Howard's wife is out of his league. We yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. But the... But the her face was so she's such a happy smiley character and she's so you know she's that face was what I was always 78 was to find her face basically as much as anything and it is uh, abnormal I'm aware I am abnormal that isn't that seems to me quite a bleak because like I'm I'm like a happy guy now like I really wasn't for years and years and years and years Mm -hmm. you know so So you're saying that like you felt like you needed to be 
attracted to someone first of all from how they appeared I think it I think it was part of the package it has to be I part of the package I don't see anything wrong with yeah. that uh, but, but you look at the way that well, you're talking well, about well, I, I, think, I think sorry to interrupt you because yeah. I always think you're not just talking about a face in terms of aspects of uh, yeah uh, it's not talking about like in terms of symmetry and literal like, features it's just a kind of face that's nice to, like, like the love has that reciprocate almost, yeah that reciprocates yeah. when you look at them nicely they reciprocate back by looking back at them and also I think someone listening might I mean, think there she is like Dane knows who she is. Like, oh, she's got a beautiful smile. Okay. Yeah, exactly. so you're like, I you know, can see why that face is the yeah, face that won your heart. Exactly. And, and, but, but it's interesting here you talk about the fact that like these guys looking for these hookups are like cutting that out. And, and, and that's why they must be, from what you've described, this unhappiness that's going across the male population. And I think another thing that's increasing the frustration for a lot of men is, you know, someone listening might think, oh, that's really shallow of you that you only wanted to be with someone that you're attracted Mm. to. But I think that's really important. For me, like, as a woman that dates men and living through a recession and seeing how bad the world's about to get, Mm. my dating standards have become even stricter, Mm. where pre-recession, pre-pandemic, there were already a lot of people that felt quite um, angry about my standards because I would always be vocal about the fact that I wouldn't want to be with a guy that doesn't make me feel taken care of. And that largely includes being with someone that is financially doing well for themselves. And now that we've lived through the bulk of a pandemic and we're now entering a really big recession, that for me is even more of an important factor. But Mm. someone listening might be like, well, so does that mean then that if you came across a guy who was, you know, really, really poor and had nothing going for his life and but he, you know he had great jokes and he was someone that kept you good company you wouldn't date him and my answer is still no like he could be my friend maybe but I just wouldn't date someone that doesn't make me feel how I want to well, feel and, and also it's interesting about that because I think that can be partly based around well, like a lot of things in your life your childhood right mm-hmm. like yes you know wanting to feel protected wanting yeah. to feel security well, you know I didn't grow up we, I grew up in a slightly treacherous financial scenario of my family and it definitely you know think it made me quite it's definitely had an impact on my life you know but then you think <laughs> I'm gonna be careful here but like I do remember one relationship I had with someone whose finances and general being in that world was a fucking mess <laughs> and a disaster zone pretty much every year and you were just like this is this isn't in, this isn't winning me over. This isn't yeah, making I mean, me go. Oh, I love being in this relationship. But there's a difference between someone that's struggling and someone that doesn't show financial literacy or responsibility. That's more what I'm yes. talking about. Yeah, I, I think that's what you're identifying. Um, it's, a, it's a good point you make because, that, and again, it's it's, it's a like I said, your reputation precedes you, and like obviously, a lot of men take that a certain way. But then at the same time, a lot of men treat women as a commodity so if you are wealthy a lot of men see it as a given that a woman should see this opulence and be attracted to them anyway so that this creates another paradox but i read a really really good quote which is by it's in the um do you remember the old sitcom a different world mm. so it's a spin-off of the cosby show and there's a, a woman in it called uh whitley who's played by the actress jasmine guy mm-hmm. and someone asked her what kind of man she goes for and she said i like a man that's like driven smart ambitious and caring and then the reply from the man who was asking her was like, but what if that man is poor? And she said, a man like that never stays poor. And that's how I see it, because I think it's like, it's not just about just having materialistic opulence to attract mm-hmm. you. It's part of that person's security. Uh, idea. Well, not just security. It's it's knowing that that person will feel a natural need, a natural um, yeah, compulsion need to you protect to you. to mommy them yeah. into that. And not just, he'll, he'll want to. Like, for me, it's like, I would... And I, I guess I would say it's like I can't enjoy a banquet if the people at the table are starving. Yeah. So for me, I've knowing someone, like, yeah, someone that someone I love, like 
of course I provide for them because if I care about you, my our mutual enjoyment is what also drives me, makes me happy. I'm, I, I'm not just taking you to a nice restaurant because I want to show you that I can afford a nice restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's important it's to me. Creating experiences. It's important to me that you have an experience that you enjoy as well because I want you there to share those with me. But I would bring so, up this phrase that I, I often talk about at home. It's is high maintenance and low maintenance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like people just go, oh yeah, but she's a bit high maintenance, right? You hear that phrase banging around. Can you find me anyone who hasn't got something about them that isn't high maintenance? Yeah, like, exactly. Very true. You know, like I had a scenario a little while ago where I went out and someone said to me, oh, I bet you're going to get in here, you know, get in here because you've been out because you left your wife. It's like, <laughs> she couldn't give a fuck, mate. She's watching whatever period drama I left her watching last <laughs> night. She doesn't care. She's got Chinese happy. Couldn't care less. You know, as long as I come back and look after the baby in the morning. I can do what I want tonight, you know. <laughs> but everyone's got, you know, that's a way that she's brilliantly low maintenance. In other ways, she's high maintenance. Like, I've never seen anyone in the world make a bowl of porridge and make as much mess as she's capable of making in that simple process. <laughs> Don't I hear this. <laughs> yeah. uh, the milk's left out. Oh, the lid's not on the milk. Oh, there's porridge oats there. Oh, you've left the bowl. I mean, it's incredible. It's like if you went about trying to make the mess, Tara, you did a fantastic job. But like, everyone has that. Yes. There's got to be something in everyone. It's and like the saying, nobody is easy to love. You oh. just, you yeah, just exactly. choose people who... Yeah, yeah you feel like it's worth the journey and you will choose them over yeah. and over again no matter how difficult their well, difficulties are. We hope, listeners, if you're looking for love at the moment, that you find a way uh, to do it because it ain't easy. It ain't easy. And, and you know what? It's not supposed to be because yeah. it's either supposed to be one of the most profound and longest experiences you'll have in your life and one of the most memorable ones or theologically, God is love. So if you want to witness God in the form of love, then mm. you don't just walk into that kind of thing. Like, it, if it was easy, then you wouldn't value it as much. Mm. So and I think that's part of it is that we've confused love for commodified romance. And mm. so we think there's certain indicators that should come with it. And that's not how it works. Like, the love part isn't even about looking Chris in a lingerie and them kind of things. There is mm. who the fuck's going to be sitting at your hospital bed yeah. when you have to go mm. for dialysis I try or a biopsy? Not, I try not mm-hmm. get too um, uh, soppy about my kids. Because I think it would get, get quite soppy. boring. No, yeah. do it. But I, I think this interesting thing at the moment where I've got this uh, monitor right for my my boy Dylan. As I, we I was talking about, the cl- one that's two. Yeah, and he's climbed out his cot, right? Um, yeah, this guy. Where's he gone? You're that guy there. Look at his face. Oh my yeah. god, he looks like his mummy. He's so very cute. Beautiful. Yeah. He's a very beautiful kid. Seems to be fine with the porridge making process too. <laughs> <laughs> that's ice cream that he's shoving into his oh face. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but, it, have this thing right where you if, you if you if you ever have to put a kid to bed there's a moment once you put it down and he's asleep and you're like thank fuck I don't have to see you again until you wake up and yes. I can I, listen if there's anyone out there that says they don't feel that way you will we all do and then at some point in the night before I go to bed I'll check the monitor and I'll look at it and I'll go I'll look at him there asleep any cute right <laughs> and I think to myself and I've only just, only just started happening is that no matter how you know tired I feel in the morning when he wakes up he annoys me when he wakes up. <laughs> I'm loving his parental honesty. Yeah, by the way. Yeah, we need to hear more of it. I, I honestly think to myself, and I make a point of keep thinking about it, which is no matter what, I'm gonna, you know, show him that I love him when, I, when yes. he wakes up in the morning. You know, and it's only because I think obviously he's my two year old bloke, and I don't want him to be like <laughs> two year old bloke. And, you know, <laughs> but he wakes up, and it, if he wakes up every morning, and I'm like. Dickhead, can you just go back to sleep, mate? It's 5.30 in the morning. Too early for this. I don't want to watch Toy Story now. Like, go to bed. Like, at least stay in your room, at least. You know? Because like, I can't even do that anymore. But, like, I know that that's not 
love, right? That's not the love yeah. that he deserves. And actually, can I think to yourself, it's such a simple, it's such a simple example of under, getting your brain to go, yeah, you should, you should show this person you yeah. love them. Kind of wonder if you need that a bit more often. Those reminders. Well, no, 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 it's, remember, you you have to teach him how it works. Yeah, that, yeah. That you're the yeah, you're, you're the it. first example of it. So mm. obviously, uh, he's at an age now where his self gratification comes first. I'm awake and I want daddy there, so daddy yeah. must come. Yeah. He has to learn how patience and being able to consider others in terms of his uh, his experience of love. Yeah. So then, when as he begins to develop his love center, part of that is understanding I'm awake. But I love my parents and respect the fact that they need rest as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to wake them up this time. So they've got to learn that very yeah. slowly. Yeah. But they also need to <laughs> and that, so slowly, yeah. uh, very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is my question this week, and it was fun to talk about it because that, um, yeah, because uh, the love I'm, is pouring out your eyes, Howard. And however you yeah, chose to articulate, yeah. we can see. No, it is. It's good. Yeah. It's fun. It is fun. I recommend it. it to an extent. We'll be back after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Dave, how did you feel? <laughs> the <extent>. final, <laughs> final question of today's uh, show, mate. Today, I, I, yeah, I think this has been a great episode so far. And, what, uh, are we ending think, already? No, no, no. no, no, no this is all short time. No, it's short time, no, it's short oh, time okay. now. <laughs> this, is what, this is what I'm saying. Because uh, as you said, like, you know, the, the, you do receive a lot of backlash because uh, a lot of men, I guess, I think personally, obviously, there it's are some... a particular kind of a particular man. Kind of there's certain insecurities because you have declared that, like, it's a prerequisite as a mm-hmm. criteria that someone should be able to be a provider. And, you know, it's weird that in a capitalist patriarchal world that men have a problem with that because that's the world they created, that yeah, and the people best man only, has money. People only... What's interesting about what you referenced is that, you know, when you vocalise needs like that, mm-hmm. the, in, the immediate rebuttal, usually both from men and women, often is, but isn't that transactional? And why I find that quite humorous is because it's only referred to as a transaction once a woman says what her needs are but men ask for pussy all the time and it's not seen as transactional but the moment a woman says okay I'm okay with you asking for that but here's how I want to feel if we're going to be doing this then suddenly it's transactional and the idea that it's transactional now means that you know you're you're looked at like because the power's in your hands that's why so it's like yeah and people aren't used to that as soon as you express a requirement then it's immediately sex work Right, people yeah, now or, call or, it work. Or, 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 or never sex work, prostitution, even though men whose financial prowess allows them to be predisposed to more situations with mm-hmm. women of a higher echelon, they still complain. But uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway, I mean, what I wanted to discuss is that uh, I truly believe that a lot, for a lot of men that have that rebuttal towards you, I think it stems from a fear or an inferiority complex that their lack of uh, resources, particularly in an austerity times, 
will mean they won't be able to find a partner. Mm. But then I also maybe have the romantic notion that there's somebody for everybody. There is someone for everyone, and there are more women who don't think like me than yeah, there yeah. are who do. And even men, women that do, there's, there's even that is certain scales as well. There's a scale to that as well. Like you know, there are some women I have because it's all comparative. Because I've been on dates with women, and I'm like, we're going to TGI Fridays, and they'd be like, hooray, and I'd be like, I was only joking. We're not going to TGI Fridays. <laughs> she but was probably just trying to be humble. Oh, be trying to be humble. Like, what? But sometimes, comparatively, she's happy that one of her a potential partner or date she's met is not just trying to fuck her straight away. Just the fact that he wants to spend time with us. So, I mean, I'm like you. I might be like, what kind of life have you led where you you're happy I mean? for TGI Fridays? But that's how some people live. Because I feel like TGI Fridays, yeah, like. Because some like let's say you've just met someone mm. and you're dating. Like for me, I would like to experience those lovely experiences. But if we're like two years in, yeah. the occasional Nando's and TGI Fridays in between Wait, isn't a shocker. No, love but, a wagon, mama. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Cheeky, I mean, cheeky I think, I think that's what most people are working towards is being able to have the takeaway Definitely. on the sofa. That's yeah. like what most people are working towards. So I want you to be able to use this space now. My question is, how? Uh, what would you tell men? Um, would be the best way to fend off this loneliness and this isolation that they're now experiencing in this modern dating world. And I think in a way where I feel, like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of men, even, I think I, I said this as well, I think you might have seen it on my show when I was like, for most men, their drive towards women is that they want them to be their mothers and lovers. Yes. Most men is an Oedipal drive that pushes it. So is there a way you can tell men? Yes. <laughs> Who to be without them perceiving it as accusatory and getting defensive? So sleeves being rolled yeah, up. Yeah. So you. So tell me. Tie my hair up as I say that. Yeah, exactly. No, please do. And uh, you can. So you can. You can tell me and disseminate what what we're doing wrong as a cisgender heterosexual men in this dating world. What I believe men are doing wrong is that they're actually not taking time to work on themselves. Mm-hmm. They think that working on themselves means like appearing to be more of an exciting dating option, whether that's mm. them buying designer clothes so that they will attract more women, even though they get offended when women are actually attracted to what they've been flaunting. I think that there's nothing more attractive than a man who has actually taken time to work on himself and is emotionally intelligent enough to be able to provide the kind of support that means you can like cry to him about things and mm. you feel safe. It's not just about going out to nice places. Like That is a part of it. But it's also about having someone you can genuinely connect with in a way where it almost feels like you're talking to one of your homegirls. And I know some guys feel emasculated by that. Well, no, but it's, it's the comfort. And I might interject on some of these points because I think one of the issues I may have sometimes is that if my partner comes to me with a problem that makes her upset, I uh, am a problem solver. And sometimes I feel like people just want to uh, emote rather than have a solution. Mm-hmm. So is, it, is offering a solution where I'm going wrong or is it just understanding that Part of that emotional intelligence is that that person just needs a body to emote to. You know, I said about the therapy thing before, I just want to say it. I don't think there's anything wrong with offering a solution because you can do both. You can both offer a solution and still just offer hugs and support and Mm -hmm. offer the emotional bandwidth to hear about the situation maybe three more times, like in terms of hearing that person ruminating and venting and giving them the option to not even take your suggestion but allowing them to know that they have an infinite safe space with you Mm. most men don't have the capacity to create that safe space with women because they've never experienced that safe space themselves but Mm. i'm a strong believer in just because you weren't nurtured that way it doesn't mean that you can't find your way there later in life just exemplify the behavior you didn't necessarily have right yeah so it's like because i guess part i guess the part of the persona i try to present in the paradigm of dating or just my interaction with women is that like I have a mother and sisters and I have nieces and I have aunts and it's trying to be the person you'd be happy if one of these women brought you home to right. your family. 
which hasn't always worked, man. <laughs> because obviously, some, because sometimes I guess when I've had partners where my job and my profile has preceded me, and so I guess sometimes people's parents and their guardians get defensive, and it's kind of like you might be a star outside this house, but in this house, she's oh, is the it star when you've dated kind of women who haven't had a profile? Yeah, and it might be like more like you might be the star, but she's the star in this household, and. People kind of feel the need to all volunteer. Why are they saying that to you? What's the context? I don't know, but it's sometimes... <laughs> that's it, deep. Because it's, stuff, because it's, it's stuff that's taken out of context. Because if they see me talking yeah. to an, a fellow or someone that's online, or celebrity or a fan, then it's kind of like, well, my mum was looking at your Instagram and she didn't. Oh, and I, and I always feel much. like, it's like, but I'm just a guy that you're you're dating. Like, your mum can't... She needs to learn to separate mm. me on TV and stuff and on Instagram from the person that her child is dating, but sometimes people aren't able to separate. Well, this is why for me, it's not that I'm saying, oh my God, I cannot date a guy who isn't a public figure, but Mm -hmm. I need to, I feel like for me, I I enjoy dating the most when I am dating someone that has experienced a level of success to an extent Mm -hmm. in their own industry. Even if they're a lawyer, like they've experienced, they don't have that insecurity of being with someone who is a star. Because no, no. that's a that's a given that if you're dating someone who has never had any kind of contact with that world, there's always going to be that lingering insecurity of like if they feel rejected, they're immediately immediately going to go to that place of oh, is it because I'm not a star myself? That's why yeah, if you yeah. can treat me like that, when actually mm. you probably would still encounter that same situation with someone who might be a public figure in their own way, and that person won't immediately think oh, is it because I don't have this many followers? They're probably just going to think you know something else of why you treated them that way. This looks part my sound like I'm talking about sucking eggs here, but obviously for someone. Who who is as sex positive and confident in discussing their sexuality as you are, um, would you consider yourself to be a monogamist in relationships? No. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. That's fine. But some people are polygamists. So for a man who may want to be... But it's not that I'm you, polygamous necessarily. It's more just like, I feel like I'm always going to have men in my life who want to do things for me. Yeah. So... So for your partner, how would you... So I'd have to have a partner who... More than likely, my partner would have probably already been one of those men who was doing stuff for me. Mm-hmm. So he's already aware of my my world in terms of me being used to that kind of treatment. Like, he would just be happy to be there. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of man that I would be partnered with. I wouldn't be partnered with someone who, you know, like, has very concrete, monogamous um, ideals... And then someone like me being their partner, it just wouldn't work Mm -hmm. because I'm the kind of person where I can date one person at a time, Mm -hmm. but I'm still always going to have guys that are just, Mm -hmm. you know, hovering around doing nice things for me. Yeah. That's what happens when you're a beautiful woman. Like, you can't, (laughs) can't, I'm not going to decline niceness. No, but but that's what I'm saying to you (laughs) is that like, there's, I just, I think that is valid because at the same time, it's kind of like, if you're married to an athlete or an entertainer, he could be on stage, you could be backstage and you could watch women flashing their breasts at him. Mm-hmm. But you can't prevent that because it's going to happen either way. And, and so I'm just trying to find a space so you can just articulate to men who don't perceive that you being like, I'm just going to fuck other guys. You're not there because that's not what you mean. It's, it's, <laughs> no, there's obviously a circle like that. that makes up the entirety of, you know, Chidera's kind of like, I guess, um, creative or artistic or aesthetic matrix. Like these are parts of your life. So just a way to explain that to guys, because they're going to be, like I said, people will be insecure, be like, no, she's not mine. Where's, where's the loyalty, bro? Like, <laughs> some other guy's buying that for her. But it's a very, like I said, it might be a very different relationship because you have, I guess, the equivalent of a fan base. Exactly. And, and, and the basis for that fandom for men couldn't be just be your sexual aesthetic. So, but it's just other men need to understand. How can yeah, that's really interesting, that like the word fan base, because there are women who, 
they don't even have any kind of public profile. They're not mm. even any kind of famous, but they still have a fan base of men who yeah. want to do things for them. And like some of these women have men who will like pay their rent for them or and they never have any kind of sexual encounters with them. Some of these women have men who will just occasionally buy something on their Amazon wish list. They mm-hmm. just want to feel like they've done something that has changed your day positively. And I think a lot of men find it hard to believe that there are men out there who exist in that way. The mm-hmm. stereotype is that those men are, you know, secretly dangerous murderers and they live in their mom's basement and they're sad. When actually, like, the men that I've come across who embody those behaviours, a lot of them are actually doing well for themselves and they have enough confidence to not feel emasculated by doing something nice for a woman because mm. um, they just feel rewarded in knowing that they've put a smile on your face. Do you see it as, a, as an act of, like, modern chivalry, then, in those cases? It's interesting because I don't really or know what the word chivalry means I think means some anymore. people interpret it as, like, well, there you go, or interpret it as a, a, is it a form of... I think some people see it as a form of, like, a man kind of keeping you on a retainer. It's kind of like... I see it as reparations, in a way. Cool. And why I see it as reparations is because women exist in a world that is all the consequences are caused by men, right? Mm. That's, what we're, that's what we're living through. And so for me, the least a man could do is make my life easier. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be granted in return for me having sex with him. Like, yeah. so for for majority of these guys, like, how dare they even think that I'm going to do anything sexual with them or for them? But if I do happen to have attraction to those guys, that makes my attraction even higher because it's like, wow, I find you attractive and you also just want to do things that make my life feel easier. Mm. And I've noticed that it's, the men who have the means to create those experiences, they are happy to do that. You're never going to see them in back and forth Twitter debates arguing about whether they should sleep with someone after taking them to Hakkasan. Like, mm. you're not going to see that. It's it's usually the men who have enough going for them that are used to treating women in a way where they are happy to just create ease in your life. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who you're not going to see them really like trying to argue women out of their standards because they can afford to be the guy that's on the description and the work for those men who have the financial means or the or the the level of confidence that will allow them to create those experiences they still have work to do they have to make sure that they are still interesting people to talk to they still have to be people that are working on themselves like having money doesn't automatically make you like a finalist you might be considered, yeah. but you still need to do your work as a person, as well, a I human think, being. I think the, the key word that comes across a lot of what you talked about here is communication. Because across so many of the things you've said, if you can't communicate well, <laughs> and that could be like what you want in terms of exclusivity, what you want in terms of what you do with your time, yes. where you go. But also, and like, there's loads of people I've come across and... You know, I've seen people in like different stages of dating disasters, right? Like, <laughs> they'll be like, oh, I'm seeing this person, but I'm not really sure. That means it's over, probably, you know, and it's kind of a person who's in the relationship and they want it to end. They've been together for years. And they, maybe they've b- betrayed the trust of that person, you know, all of these things. Or they're just someone who can't fucking get on it, can't, mm-hmm. can't, can't muster enough momentum to get in there and find... I just think in the end, that communication element is going to be everything. Because when you sit with someone, if you can't... Like, put the phone away. <laughs> I can't tell people enough. Like, tell them, like, is it right if we sit for, like, two hours and, like, we I get like, we really try and get to know, put our phone, like, just talk. Like, because it might be that you haven't got anything to fucking talk about. Right. And if that's the case... Then you've found out you don't have much exactly. in common. And also, and really, also, if you really don't... really unlikely this is going to sustain anything. If you don't have anything to talk about, there's no amount of money or transactions... None of it is going to work. ultimately is going to work, yeah, so... It, it, it's incredible how little that seems to play... The driving force because like 
you know, like, I can tell you guys, like, if you get to the end of my particular rainbow, that involves me finishing my dinner with my wife in front of the television, exhausted after putting two kids to bed, and we'll watch an episode of something, and Mm. then we'll probably, there'll probably be this period of time where we talk a bit about stuff before one of us passes out because of tiredness. You're literally living the dream that most men secretly wish that they had. This is why I I don't understand, is that the idea that you're going to get to that, and the reason I bring that up, by the way, is that that's a very small amount of that time that's communication with me and my wife there because we're so tired and it's, you know, Mm -hmm. the guy running around in his pants. But not not all communication is verbal. That's it, that's it. And, you know, when I left her this morning, you know, me and Dana are off to do uh, our live podcast this evening and, and, you know, I might not see her, she might be asleep, the kids will be asleep, you know, but gave her a big, hug and cuddle before I left and that was probably what she needed to know right and like you think guys like get your communication there please you'll save a lot of fucking well, the guys who are not like you who are refusing to get their communication on point will be left behind and they're going to get to a stage in their life where they're going to really regret the decisions that they've made because no amount of trying to convince them is going to do anything I mean there's nothing that we've said today about men that hasn't already isn't already out there like the resources are out there men just don't want to do it Mm. and so they're gonna have to i think as human beings we don't change until we experience a consequence that is like impactful enough for us to think okay this has to stop and Mm. for a lot of men they're still not there yet so that's going to be their loss good luck (laughs) you're gonna need it good luck (laughs) fucking hell yeah you're gonna need it no no because it's Listen, I, but, but you know, we, 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 even though we're talking with a sense of foreboding, like this is not necessarily a bad journey for you to go on as a man. This yeah. is about discovering yourself and your own self-love and confronting your traumas. And I don't think that's a, and that's not a bad thing. And I think that's the problem is that a lot of men approach this with apprehension because it's an idea that you're going to have a revelation of weakness. And it's actually the opposite. Once you are able to understand, like, you know, the nature of your own heart and how to begin the process of healing if it has been broken rather than living in perpetual denial that you have one, Mm -hmm. then you can actually begin to understand and take, uh, I'd say, take precautions and actually make moves in your life to protect your own heart. And by that own token, once you observe that self-love, then you'll be able to share that share a love with people in a much more efficient way. I say, because I feel like having a woman break up with me and having my heart broken was the most manly experience I ever had. Mm. Because I had to learn to begin to repair and heal from something that physicality couldn't get me out of. I can't punch my way out of heartbreak. I can't drape somebody out of heartbreak. I can't, can't sex your way out of heartbreak. You can't fuck your way out of heartbreak. You can't weightlift your way out of heartbreak. And so... So what got you meant, out of heartbreak? It was having to learn how my heart was and what and, and, and basically acknowledge it to myself. He was basically the Tin Man and, from and the Wizard yeah. of Oz. And, so, yeah. and, so, and, and see how it feels. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because the, the Tin Man is an allegory for, industri- I mean. for industrialization, <laughs> which is also a patriarchally capitalist-led uh, yeah. uh, movement. So, But it basically meant I had to learn the nature of heartbreak and know what it's like to understand. Because like I said, when you think of the masculine of your brain, you'll think logically like, oh, but I, I bought this yeah. and I remember this fuck, fuck and I got, I got her this and I got her this and that. So how did it not work? And not understanding that when you're dealing with emotion, it does not follow any linear path and it doesn't True. have necessarily a logical outcome. And that's just, and part of emotional intelligence is just learning to adapt and deal with that. And so for through that process, I learned that, you know, women will have to do stuff like maybe terminate a pregnancy and then still have to go and have sex again. That requires a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence. Most women experience a form of sexual trauma, one or another type, before they're 18, and that's like 90% of most women. To even trust men to with your naked body again requires a remarkable amount of emotional intelligence. And then also to understand that what I, the personalization of my own heartbreak 
is wrong because every human being, this is probably the one of the things that link all human beings together in loss. So I might lose a girlfriend, but there's other people. And I always say to people now is that like that heartbreak is part of you learning about it. Even when you find love, there's always ultimately going to be that last heartbreak, which will be the worst one of all. And I, I've because I because it meant I even looked at my parents and understood how love works and the other aspects other than just the love and the like I said the lovey dovey part. It was like knowing you enter into this thing where I'm like I'm going to share my life with you, but one day I'm gonna have to come out to this fucking bed and you're not going to be here. Mm. So while you're here, I have to make sure this experience is as profound and expansive as possible. But I had to have my heart broken to understand that, and it meant learning to respect everyone else's heart and understand that everyone's experienced it and everyone can experience it. And so by that token, never proactively visit that on another human being. Mm-hmm. Well, so, mm-hmm. listeners, uh, yeah. we hope if you're searching for love that you find it. I think we found some today in this episode of the podcast. Yeah, Some Absolutely. beautiful discussions and lots lots of stuff comes out today Dane it's been a, been a good one right absolutely and uh, I still thank you very much for uh, imparting your knowledge upon us and I still wholeheartedly believe that uh, God is love and therefore it transcends any gender sexual orientation or idea and it's the most important experience you'll have in your life as a human being so and that begins with self. If we are made in God's image and God is love, then self-love is most important. Love every aspect of yourself because you won't be able to do it for anybody else if you don't appreciate yourself for who you are. Um, so again, Chidera, thank you so much for imparting and taking the time to show us some love. Please let our listeners know where they can find out more about your good works and what you're doing, thank what you're going to be doing, what are you done? Me. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Let good go. things happen when you question everything, clearly, mm, because this conversation has been so insightful. You can find me online on social media, Instagram and Twitter at The Slama Flower. And you can find my books, What a Time to Be Alone and How to Get Over a Boy in any good bookshop, including Foils, Waterstones, WH Smith, Amazon. <laughs> and Dane is holding his copy that I brought him, which is signed. Of a very very grateful inside. thank you very much Yay! well congratulations on the book and uh, can't wait to see what, what comes from your thank you so endeavors much. in the future there's clearly loads more to come right? yes, that's right yes. and just remember guys to love one another and that saggy boos matter and that goes for men too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, don't Jadera. forget to question everything absolutely thank you so much you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything Hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at DaneSnapTiste and at the Howard Cohen. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE Podcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Insanity Group. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.